I got a letter, not a letter, but a, uh, well, kind of, an email um, from uh, our brother in Iraq, yes, that he wanted me to read to the family. Austin, who we've been praying for and will continue to pray for as he is fighting there and serving there. We pray for protection. He is ministering to the brothers out there. What a little mission field. I praise, not little, big, big mission field. Listen to his words. He says, hey, family. It's such a huge blessing to me to hear that you're so faithful in praying for me each week. The Lord has truly been gracious in opening many doors for the gospel to be shared to the guys I work with. At this moment in time, I am at a different base with three other guys doing some training. I've had the opportunity to share with one of them extensively every day. He seems to have tons of questions, and last night I seriously thought he wanted to repent. But for some reason, it seems that it's hard for Marines to give up their lifestyle in the world. Nevertheless, the word went out and the prayer was being lifted up to the Father by you guys. And the rest is in his hands. I just want to let you know that the Lord has been showing his protection big time. Your prayers have continually been answered and I'm truly grateful for all of you. Soon enough, I'll be back and fellowshipping with you again. Trust me, it's something I can't wait for. Laugh out loud. Thanks again, family, for your constant love and support. You're truly the greatest blessing that the Lord has hooked me up with. Much love in Jesus. And that is our brother Austin. I just love that. I almost feel like, you know, Timothy reading something from Paul or something. I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of cool, you know, just being able to receive letters from a brother off uh, far away. And... Um, we need to pray for him once again. Huh? We need to continue to pray. And as often as you think of Austin, I would encourage, please, you know, it's just, it is. Think about trying to be by yourself, away from the family, out there in the middle of nowhere. And you got a couple guys that maybe seek God, but you're just out there by yourself. Where do you get fellowship? Where do you get, encur- who encourages you? You know, I, I mean, who lifts you up? Who carries your burdens? I get to talk to him here and there on the phone, and it's just like, man... He says it is the most refreshing times. Just being able to, just being able to hear and just, you know, Jesus talk and just like the real stuff that's happening. And it's like sometimes it can get so stale out there in that desert. So we got to continue to pray for our brother, Amen. So let's uh, let's do that right now. Let's ask Father's blessing upon him. Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. Thank you. For setting us free. Thank you for giving us salvation. We get to go to heaven when we die, and you gave it for free. Nothing that we could have done, it's all you. And we thank you for Austin, God, as he is there in Iraq, and we ask for your protection upon him that, Lord, you would send more angels to minister to him, please. And that, Lord, he would feel encouraged night after night. That he would be uplifted somehow. He would have those miraculous experiences with you. That only you and you alone can give. That he would hear your voice daily. That he would walk in the Spirit. That he would be sensitive to you. And what you want to speak to those guys. And that, Lord, this would be a time, as Paul went into the deserts of Arabia for three years. That this would be the same for Austin. That he would hang out with Jesus Christ close to him your son he would draw close so please father we ask that you would grant these things 
and that our brother would come back blessed more than ever, that he would learn everything you have for him out there. He would not miss a drop of blessing. Have your hand upon him, please. We also, Lord, lift up Kent Hovind as he sits in prison still to this day. Oh, Father, we ask that the doors would fall off the hinges and that he'd be set free somehow. We ask for your grace and mercy upon him as he struggles, I'm sure, day in and day out, sitting on that cold floor, wondering, teach him whatever you desire. Shape that man so that when he comes out, he'll be as a fierce lion and no man will be able to stop one of your prophets to this nation. So please, would you bless him? Would you give him peace and rest tonight as he sleeps? And let him be able to write the book of Philippians there as he sits in prison, the book of joy. Give him unspeakable joy that no man can explain. Please, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I guess we should dive into the word tonight, huh? Believe it or not, we are in the book of Esther. Yes, the book of Esther. The book of Esther. Man, what a movie. I'm telling you, you know, the more I read the Old Testament, the more I just think of movies. Is it really? They have Esther the movie? Dude, I'm behind. One Night with the King, huh? Oh, chick flick, huh? Has anybody seen that? It's not good? Oh, it's not a chick flick. But it's good. Alright. I'm looking for a biblical flick. That's what I'm looking for. Well, we are in Ezra. I'm sorry, Esther. Gosh. I need to pray. I know. That's what I need to do. Let's pray. Father, I ask for great wisdom um, and direction and understanding. Words of wisdom, Father, straight to my heart, please. And, Lord, that the people would have ears to hear, that their hearts would be ready for your word tonight, and that we would walk away with much, very full, full to the brim, with your word and your words alone. We ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Esther. Esther, well, let me tell you the story up to chapter 5. Esther is a Jew. And... Um, she was adopted by her father. Or I'm sorry. She was adopted by her uncle. Yes, her uncle. And uh, his name is Mordecai. And he had raised her as a daughter there in his family. And they'd been sitting under King Art. I'm sorry, not King Art. King Xerxes. Yes. And um, he's been reigning for a few years here. And uh, oh no, I can't remember the king's wife. What's her name? It starts with the V. Vishti. Vashti, yes. Vashti. Vashti is, uh, has, I guess, rebelled against the king there one day when he calls for her, and the king gets ticked. Actually, it's like it's not really like he gets upset. It's almost like his, his little sidekicks over here kind of whisper in his ear like, Oh, king. Oh, your wife. Look, you called for her, and she didn't come. Well, you know what that means. If you don't do something and rebuke her, then everybody in, hey, your kingdom is going to recognize that she's been disobedient and now all the wives are going to start being disobedient to their husbands. 
He's like, oh, true, true. Yeah, you better do something. You better sit her down. And so they're like, yeah, write, write a decree and do something that would cause her to, hey, be away from you forever, never be able to be in your presence ever again. That'll teach her. That'll show her. And so that's what he does. He bans his wife. But then they're like, See, the way, I think the way they twisted the king's mind there was like, but this is what you can do. We'll go and look for all the virgins in the land, the beautiful virgins there in your land, and we'll bring them before you. And you can pick which one will be king. And he's sitting there like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Buster. And um, I don't really know how to, you know, a lot of people take the king and they, they, they use it as a picture of Christ. And... Um, as I'm reading through it, it's difficult for me to really play because I don't like with this whole beauty pageant that goes on. That's exactly what starts to happen: is these girls get all done up, and what happens is they literally take like a year to prepare these women to be in his sight, like six months of working on their skin to make sure it's just like perfecto, and and and, and another couple months of of perfume and makeups and all this stuff just to get these girls ready. I'm just like, man. Jesus, man, he's just like, yeah, you're 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 a rock in the gutter, you know. You're you're just dirt. You really don't have much to offer at all. And he, man, polishes up, makes his diamonds, doesn't he? What a amazing king, and he accepts us as we are, which is such a blessing. But, anyways, so these that's what they do. His little sidekicks, the king, King Xerxes, he. Uh, he brings all these ladies in and uh, they have a little beauty pageant, you know, and they, they they do their little spin and all the rest. And one of the maids, one of his servants kind of whispers in Esther's ear because she got chosen to be one, yeah. She got chosen to be in this pageant here. Remember, she's a Jew. She shouldn't be like a part of this thing. And so it's kind of a secret deal going on that she even is a Jew. And so what happens is, she comes in, but she's like the most beautiful girl anybody's ever seen. And he, his maid tells her, like, this is what you need to do. Don't say a word. Don't object to anything the king says. You just let him talk and you respond. And that's how you'll win. And so she does this, that, and she ends up winning. He picks Esther as his wife and his queen. And um, she is there in office now. And what starts to happen is... Um, The king has a, as another, like his right-hand man, his, I guess, what is he, the prime minister he has anointed him as, yes, of the kingdom. And his name is Haman. And Haman is this little, like, I picture him, I don't know, he, he's like, uh, he's just that prideful guy in the movie that everybody hates, you know. He's like, he's all dark in the background, you know, and he's like whispering into the king's ear, and I don't know, anyways. And he's a what? Danny DeVito. Okay, yeah, Danny. Yeah, he's got short man syndrome. You know, he's like, t- like, like the guy over in North Korea. You know, he's just like, he's like four foot five. You know, he just like walks around. <laughs> I gotta stop. Okay, uh, back to the story. Uh, King Xerxes, yes, has his right hand man Haman, and Haman just thinks he is the stuff, man. He has got it together, and the king has anointed him prime minister, and so. Um, he wishes that everyone bows when he walks by and all the rest and that everybody is supposed to bow to them and the, him and the king. 
And there is one who will not bow. And guess who this one is? His name's Mordecai. And this is who? Esther's father. Remember the one I was telling you about? Mordecai. And so he will not bow because he's a Jew and he serves the living God. And he will not bow. And so he he gets kind of called out there in the center. And Haman sees him like not bowing and he's just ticked. Like, what's the deal? What is this little Jew over here not bowing to me? And he is, I mean, really upset. And so what ends up happening is uh, Haman gets so upset that he wants, he's like, I'm not going to choke choke Mordecai out myself because the boy because he won't bow. No, I'm going to go and kill off all of his people, create this genocide and just destroy all of them. And so he, he works the king in such a way and gets the king, yeah, to sign a decree saying that what? You can wipe him out, man, it's cool. Go and take care of that. And so the date is set, and I can't remember the date. I feel like it's the 7th of something, March maybe. I can't remember. But anyways, there's a date set when the Jews are to be wiped out. And it says that as they wipe them out, you can just take their property. Whatever they have is yours. So it's almost like an insight for the people that are not Jews to kind of come in and just work people. And just, oh, I want, want that guy's stuff. Oh, as soon as March 7th hits, man, I'm going to go. I'm just going to take him out and take because I want that. And so this is what's happening. Uh, this whole thing is unfolding. And Haman, it's all because, once again, he's just this, this guy who is power hungry and so Haman tries to make this thing happen and Esther finds out because Mordecai comes and tells her he tells her through some of the servants he's like go and tell Esther remember the queen go tell her that Haman wants to wipe out the people he wants to wipe out the Jews and so she finds out and then what does she go and do she tells Mordecai listen sends a message back to him get all the people to fast and pray for three days Three days. And then he's like, all right. So he goes back to fast and pray for three days. And that is where the story picks up. That is where the story picks up. So again, quick overview. Mordecai has his daughter. Adopts her, Esther. She becomes queen through a beauty pageant. And um, King, King Xerxes has his right-hand man, Haman. Expects everybody to bow down. And Mordecai, Esther's father, will not bow. Haman gets upset, wants to kill the Jews. And then what? Esther finds out and says, we're going to fast for... Let's pray and fast. Prast. Okay. We're going to... So that's what I'm just going to say next time. Brothers, sisters, we need to prast. That means fast and pray. And um, for three days. And that's where we pick up. So look at Esther chapter 5 and verse 1. Now it came to pass on the third day... Third day of what? Fasting, yes. That Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so, when the king saw Esther the king standing in the court, that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter, that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Stop there. Now, what you must recognize is is her father, Esther's father, Mordecai, he was like, Esther, you've got to do this. You've got to go to the king and beg him not to, to wipe out the Jews and to spare them and let, and let him know what Haman's doing. And she's like, I can't do that. I can't just like walk into the king's court. That, that It's kind of weird. I mean, I don't even know how that works. It's like, the wife can't even walk into the husband like anytime she wants. No, not in that day. With the king, 
It's like if you just storm in, off with your head. Like you don't do that. You have to walk in. And then if he extends his scepter, his golden scepter that is, his little baton, if he extends it to you, then you get to come in. But if not, you're in big trouble. And so she told her father, she's like, no, I can't go in there because what if he doesn't extend the scepter? She's like, don't worry about it. We're going to pray and fast and everything's going to be okay. So look what we see. Her prayer is answered. And you know, I was thinking about it once again. Prayer and fasting is so crucial and so important. Look what, look at this. Even in the Old Testament, there was a big deal going down. This is a really big deal. And what did she say? They didn't, they didn't sit down and map out this little plan of what to do. They said, we need to pray and fast. And man, I, I can't be more passionate about it. I'm telling you that it is one of the most important things that we can do in the Christian life. Why? Because it gets the Father's attention in some way, I almost feel, like a smoke signal going up. What happens with you is this. Think about it. When you fast, what are you doing? You're getting everything in your life under control. Disciplining your body. We, as a family, need to learn discipline. Without discipline, we cannot be who God has called us to be. A person who is not disciplined will sin continually. will run from God. will do things they should not. Why? Because they're not disciplined and they don't want to do what they know they should do. So think about it. A person who's not disciplined, sin comes to them. They cannot discipline themselves. They cannot say no. A person who is disciplined will be able to stand up and fight against oneself and say, absolutely not. A person who is disciplined, when the Father is speaking, let's go read the Word together. We'll say what? Yeah, it's time to read. A person who is not, cannot. A person who is disciplined can wake up when they desire. A person who is not, cannot. How do you become disciplined? Fasting. Fasting is a practical way to become disciplined in your life. Now think about this. I've spoken about it again before, but I'll speak about it again. What does fasting do? When you go to fast, say tomorrow, we said we're going to fast. We are going to tell our bodies all day tomorrow, you're not going to eat. You will do what I say, Josh Thompson. Josh Thompson's body. You will do what I say for you to do. You will listen closely to what I say. Our bodies don't want to listen to us, huh? Like especially when you're sleeping there in bed, it's like, ring, time to get up. Oh. Oh, but this thing is so nice. No, but and you're like talking to yourself, but you really got to get up. And it's like, nah, nah, body likes this. Mm. Mind is like, you idiot, you got to get up out of the... It's like, it's like you, you have this, it really is, there's like two parts going on. The mind is, is you on the inside, and your body is like this another, another person, you know, who wants to do its own thing. It's like, listen, flesh, you will do as I command you. And um, a lot of times it doesn't work. You just sit there and you fall back asleep because the flesh is willing. It desires to go big. Flesh is weak, sorry. Yeah. It does not want to do the things that the mind or the spirit tells it to do. And so fasting does what? That's what exactly what it does. It disciplines you. If a child says, no. Oh, no, huh? Where'd you learn that? Son, it's time to go clean up your room. No. Oh. No, huh? Discipline will come into place and you will 
clean your room, and that is how you discipline a child, correct? You take action, and you discipline. But why, when it comes to the spiritual life, are we not... Hey, it's kind of like we have the philosophy almost of the world, and do whatever feels good. What feels good? Like, I want to keep sleeping. I want to keep eating. I want to keep doing what my flesh tells me to do. And that is where you must change family. That is where you must get control of yourself. So I pose to you this. If you fall into sin that you want to get rid of, fast. I told a buddy, it's like he confessed to me. And I said, next time you do that, if you fall into that again, you have to fast the next day. If you sin in that department, you got to fast the next day. You got to discipline yourself and get that back in check. And anytime you feel your flesh starting to get out of check and out of whack and just like doing what it wants to do and it just start, you put it back in check. You're not eating. And um, you'll get control there. I guarantee it. Because what are you doing? Again, when you fast, you're telling yourself no all day long. No, no, no. And it's a weird thing. I've been trying to practice this within my own life. It is so difficult. Like you're all fired up the first time you fast. Like I got this. Bam. And you do. But then wait till a month goes by and you've been fasting like once or twice a week. And two months and then three months in and you're just like weary of fasting. It's like when it comes, you're like, no, I, I don't want to do it. Come. It's like working out. It's like going to the gym. You know what I'm talking about? Like you get to the place where you're all satisfied and it's like, man, I don't want to, I'm feeling good about myself. I don't need to go to the gym anymore. I'm good. You don't want to discipline. You don't want pain anymore. But when you practice that, telling yourself no all day, all day, all day, all day, guess what? When tomorrow, hey, a lustful thought comes, or you think that about that person, or hey, you start to get angry, or hey, you know you should go and read and spend time with the Lord, what can you do? Tell yourself no, because you've been practicing telling yourself the day before all day. You build yourself. My buddy John, he's crazy, man. He'll fast for weeks, months, and and he even goes as far as to like if he's sleeping in his bed and he feels like he's getting all comfortable, he'd be like, You're going on the floor. And he gets himself and he'll lay and sleep on the floor until he feels his body in check again. And then he'll sleep in the bed. It's like it's powerful, you see. I almost feel like when I look at the guy, it's like there's no way anything is gonna penetrate his walls are so thick. It's like sin tries to come, he just laughs at it, like ah ha ha. <laughs> Under control, baby. Discipline. But when you fast, you are to what? Pray. It goes hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. I'm just going to fast and not eat and discipline myself. Well, you're going to grow weak. You need to be praying and asking God to fulfill and to be alive. You spend time in prayer while you fast. That's just for discipline in your life. But another way, another thing for fasting, what you see continually in the New Testament is when something big is about to go down, the people what? Or something as big is going down, the people prayed and fasted. And we don't do that enough. I mean, I, I even wonder how many in the church even know what fasting is and have fasted for more than one day. A week? Is that a lot? I remember my buddy Johnny was trying to give me like a lineup. He's like, okay, brother, this is what you'll do. Okay, just fast from 5 in the morning till 8 at night. Just do it for 7 days. I'm like, he's like, this is what will start you off. <laughs> just like, um, how about one day? <laughs> how about, you know, 5 to 8 and then I get to eat? 
that if we're dead serious about our walks, we need to get serious. You're mature believers. You know the Word. It's been taught to you since your kids. It's your children. Many of you have been walking with the Lord for at least a year, two years. You know the Word. Do I need to preach to you more? Take the things that you know and apply to your life. You're wasting time, my friend. If you don't apply the things you know, you can't get anywhere. Maybe God has spoken to you here in the past and you chose not to do what He has told you to do. You cannot move forward in your walk. You will not. You try to jump on to maybe new things and new experiences and cool stuff and it just doesn't work. You don't need bigger bands. You don't need cooler stuff. You don't need another big experience to get you going. What you need is just to simply do what you know you need to do. Pray. Fast. Spend time in the Word. Marry the church. Share the gospel. That's it. So this is what Esther does. And this is what the people do. They pray and fast for three days. And what happens? Hey, something happens. Her prayer is answered. The king points out his scepter. He does not off with her head. Look at verse 3. Then the king, or then said the king unto her, What wilt thou, Queen Esther? Or what do you want? What can I do for you? What is your request? It shall be even given thee to half the kingdom. Or I'll give you even half the kingdom, whatever you ask for. And Esther answered, If it seem good unto the king, let the king and Haman come this day unto the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, Cause Haman to make haste, that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman came to the banquet that Esther had prepared. So what was her request? Notice, what is she doing? Who told her to do this? Why is she inviting him to a banquet? I believe that while she was in prayer and fasting that the father showed her what to do. And watch what happens. Verse 6, And the king said unto Esther at the banquet of wine, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted to thee. And what is thy request? Even if half the kingdom, it shall be performed. And then answered Esther and said, My petition and my request is, I have found favor in the sight of the king. And if it please the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet that I shall prepare for them. And I will do to morrow as the king has said. What? So she looks at him and says, My request is this, that you would come to another banquet that I have prepared tomorrow. Random! But if you look at it practically, it's almost like the ways of a woman. I, I, you know? You know what I'm saying? It's like it's like a cat. You know, they kind of come up and they and they they rub the leg. You know, the cat walks by and kind of just like, you know, kind of just rubs up against you and then just starts walking away as if it wants something or desires something. And then you go to pet it and it like runs away from you. It's like, <laughs> I don't get it. Same way, you know. The woman comes up and kind of walks by with her hair blowing in the wind and the perfume all loud. <laughs> with her, you know, little model walk going on. And then, and you know, she kind of just, she just barely glances, just kind of like a quick look. And the guy's just like hoping for the stare, but then she just like turns away real quick and just like, you know, just like keeps walking. Yeah. It's almost like what she's done. Like, the king's all like stoked. Like, he's like, come to the banquet tomorrow and I will ask you what it is. So he asked her, he's like, okay, what is it? The question I want to ask you is, will you come to the banquet tomorrow? Huh? 
like, what? Come to the banquet tomorrow. But he's just like, I mean, he's probably restless all night. This is a big deal. Because he even said to her, I'll give you half the kingdom, whatever you want, queen. I wonder maybe they haven't talked for a while. Maybe that's why she was scared to come in. Maybe they got in a fight a little while back or something. Or maybe I don't, maybe the kings just had a hard time. Maybe, I don't know what's going on. But the queen has come in and he's just like ready to offer her everything. Maybe Esther, because she was so beautiful, it's like she had the king like wrapped around her finger and kind of could just do whatever. And, and, and maybe she had just been away for a while and so he was just like wondering when his Esther would come back. And she comes in and says, I have, I have something I need to ask. And he's just like, maybe he just like, the, the scepter came up like so fast, almost ripped his own arm off, you know, because he was so stoked to see his wife. It's like, you know, he like dropped it on the ground or something. I don't know. But she asked the question, come to the banquet tomorrow. And I'm sure he was, his heart was beating even faster once again, like more, you're going to let me, longer? I have to wait longer? Yeah, it's like somebody when somebody tells you, I bought you something. And you're like, what is it? Not going to tell you. Why did you tell me you bought me something? It's the worst. I'll give it to you in three days. Oh, great. Thanks. So now for three days, I'm going to think all day, every day about what you bought. And then she goes, and it's really nice. I spent some good money on it. I saved up. Oh, thanks. Again. Anyways... That's what's happened here. The king is wondering. He's uh, biting his nails. He's tapping on the floor. The servants are looking at him. King, is everything okay? Yes, yes. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm good. And he's ready to go to the banquet. I'm sure he's probably up early in the morning, all strapped up. You know, like you're going, like when you're a child, you're going to Disneyland. You get up all early, all ready to go. That's the king. He's ready to go to his banquet. Look at verse nine. Then Haman, fourth that day, joyful with a glad heart. Oh, yes. This is right after the party. Haman's all stoked because he just had a great party. He got invited, and uh, him and the king, and so I'm sure they just had a blast, probably got drunk, and just, you know, had, he says he's joyful. He went, uh, Haman, that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he stood not up, for moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. We'll stop there. So what happens? Haman's all stoked. He was one of the big dogs there at the party. Him and the king, remember, were the two that were invited, personally invited by, yes, Queen Esther to this event. They were the guests of honor. I'm sure they had the big gold cup in hand. And they were sitting at the big dog seats that, hey, only the king and his assistant get to sit at, and everybody sees who it's for. So he's all joyful, walking out, and guess who it is sitting there at the gate, the one that he hates with a passion. Remember, the whole reason he's going to wipe out the Jewish nation. Who stands there? Mordecai. And uh, he is bummed out, and he sees him, and he's just like, he walks past him, and it's almost like he's in his way. And when he walks up to Mordecai, it's like Haman, you know, the sidekick of the king walks up to Mordecai and sees him there. I wonder if he gave him a little like look that was just disgusting and just like, who are you, little Mordecai? Ooh, little Jew boy, yeah. Just kind of like looked at him and just gave him the uh, the bad eye, you know. Just Mordecai, he didn't bow as Haman desired, and he wasn't even scared of him 
I wonder if when Haman walked by, he just was that guy like in the movies that just kind of pushed soldiers over and just knocked people down, just really didn't care about anybody. And, you know, he's just walking through and everybody's always like kind of scared of him, like he's going to, you know, command them to be killed or something. Mordecai just kind of stands there with no fear. Just kind of sees him in the gate, probably just looks at him just like, how's it going, man? And Haman, he is furious because Mordecai will not bow and because he will not tremble in his presence. But look at verse 10. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zeresh, his wife. So he refrained. That means he kind of tried to show that he wasn't affected by it. Even though he was so livid because Mordecai would not bow the knee or would not... He, he was livid, but inside he just kind of acted like nothing even happened. He went home and he rallied together his friends and his wife. Look what happens. Verse 11, And Haman told them the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and all the things wherein the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Haman said moreover, Yeah, Esther the queen did let no man come in with the king under the banquet that she had prepared but myself. And tomorrow I am invited unto her also with the king. Yet all this availed me nothing so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the, gate, the king's gate. So he comes home, and what does he do? He brings all of his friends together and his wife, and he starts doing what? Bragging about himself. Maybe he's a little tipsy. Kind of just sits everybody down, and you know he's a man in power, and so he's kind of the guy in the room that nobody wants to disrespect. They all want to be friends with him because he has power. You know, it's like the rich kid on the block. It's like he's, you know, like this snob, but it's like you don't want to offend him because he's got cool stuff and like you want to hang out with him. Well, this guy Haman, he's like the same way. He walks in, sits all his friends down, and starts doing what? Starts just talking about himself and how awesome he is. Guess what, guys? I was the guest of honor at the party. Yep. And you know what? I'm just so good. You know, I mean, you just look at my kids, look at my children, look at my wealth. I'm, I'm so filthy rich. Yeah, I got this job going, you know, and I, I got this car, and I got this, and I got that. It's kind of the way a lot of people talk. A lot of my worldly friends, I remember, it's like anytime I come in contact with them, it's like they got to tell me all the things are going on. It's like, oh, so what's been going on, man? Well, I got this fat truck, you know, it's like lifted like to the sky. Man, it's so tight. Oh, well, what else is going on? How's your family? You know, man, i just making big money over at the work I'm working at, and I just made this deal doing great. Oh, so, I mean... Uh, I mean, are you doing all right, like, as far as, like, you know, just hanging out and stuff? Yeah, you know what? We, we just go and party. We get so many girls these days. It's just like, dude, I can't even believe it. It's, like, just ridiculous. You got to beat them off with a stick. You know, it's just great. I mean, you, you think people actually act this way, and it's just, I, I, you don't see it until you're out of it, until you're away from it. Hey, that's the thing. Anytime I hang with my buddies, I just, I think to myself, my old buddies, I'm just like, man, I really act like that. Yeah, prideful as ever. But that's what he's doing. He's bragging on himself and just how cool he is and all the things that he's accomplished. But then he says this. Note. I'll read it again because it's so crazy the way the Bible even words this. There in verse 13. Yet all this avails me, or I have all this stuff, but it means nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. It's like, man, I got all this stuff, but you know what? As long as that Jew is alive sitting at the king's gate, I don't really care. It means nothing to me. What does that show? That shows that no matter how much you gain, no matter how much you chase after, no matter what you receive in life, whether it be a position that you desire, 
doesn't matter. You're not going to be happy. There's always going to be something else you desire, something else you want. I'm going to finish this last verse here and then just talk for a sec. Verse 14, Then Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, he said, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged on there. Then go thou in merely with the king unto the banquet, and the thing please Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. What does he say? He says, hey, uh, his wife says to him, because he's so ticked off, you could just see them, like maybe they're sitting there at the table, they just finished a big meal, they're just sitting down, hanging out, and Haman is just livid, and what happens? He's like, man, yeah, I got all this stuff, but you know what, I just want that Jew dead. I want him out of here. And the wife goes, hey, I know what you can do. You're in good with the king, just do this. Just go to him and ask him if you can have him hung on the gallow. Have him killed. He's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That would, re- that's awesome. Now, now, let me explain what a gallow is. Number one, the King James says it well. It says, have him ha- hung or hanged on the gallow. Now, many of your translations say that what? Have him hung, like as if a hanging would take place. A gallow is not something you hang somebody, like a hanging takes place on, no. A gallow is a pole that is erected, and this gallow is something to do what? After you hang a person, you take them and impale them and place them on the pole so that all can see that this man has been hung. So what he wanted to do was get the man killed and then hang him on this gallow. Now how big? It says 50 cubits or how high? 75 feet tall. That's tall. This ceiling's, I think, what is it, Robert? Probably 13, 14 feet? 75 feet, he wants a pole that high to hang this man on so that all can see. That's sick. All because of what? Because the man wouldn't bow to him. Pride. Pride. It's pride. He would not ever stoop down to that Jew's level. And I just want to talk about this just for a second as far as within the church. Pride's a big issue that we continue to struggle with day in and day out. And as I was looking and writing the Devo today, I was thinking about this. That sometimes there is so much pride within the church and within people. It's like something like this. As simple as this. Pride sneaks up on you. You don't even know it's there sometimes. You don't even know it's deep within your skull. Someone almost has to reveal. Either someone has to tell you or God has to show you. It's the only way you can, your eyes can be opened. And pride can sneak in so easily like this. Maybe there is something, a mess happens there on the ground. Or maybe it's garbage or trash. And the first thing we think is what? Well, that's a janitor's job. You clean that up. janitor cleans that up. That's what a janitor does. They clean up messes, right? That's that's their job. That's what they do. They they just they, they make sure everything's clean. I mean, I wouldn't. I, I don't do stuff like that. Let's go call the janitor. Wait a minute. Why don't you clean it up? Me. Well, that's kind of disgusting. Wasn't well, it disgusting for the janitor? What makes you higher than the janitor? Well, he gets paid. Wait a minute. 
Why are there people that will clean it up, but you won't? Well, because I don't want to break a nail. I don't want to get my hands dirty. And I also wrote and spoke about a mother named, a, a mother, yes, a woman named Mother Teresa, who hugs lepers, who lives among the poor, who gives up what she has. Sounds like somebody I know, Jesus Christ our King. Who, yeah, hung and did those things, hung with those people, was close to, I'm not going to touch a leper. Get out. That's, I'm not going to hang out with that person, or they smell, or they this, or they, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, do you think that God loves you more than He loves them or something? We need to be very careful when we say things like, I would never eat at McDonald's, or I'll never shop at Walmart, or I'll never go, wait a minute. Do you know there's people in the world that have to do those things? No choice. They don't have money. That's all they have. I remember when it was like this, the coolest. I mean, when our when my dad took us to McDonald's to get a meal, like we got a full. It's like, wow, you mean we get to choose a number? I mean, we don't. You don't ask. In my house, you wouldn't ask to go to get fast food because that's just we just don't do that. It was always hand-me-downs, and it was always a thrift store. Me and my brothers were the kids that ran around with no shoes on in the street, on our street. We played with the rich kids stuff across the street. But I'm like almost so happy that just the way I have, I'm almost being able to experience all that hardship and go through so many hard times, so many nights where I see my father distressing because we can't pay the rent, we can't do something. Just like, because it just worked in me something. It just worked something in me. I don't know what to really pinpoint or put exact or even sound like prideful as if like I've gained something because of that. I'm, all I'm saying is this. Is that we need to be very careful in the church when we pick and choose even like maybe somebody you talked to. I remember there was a guy that used to come like way back when. It was probably like four or five years ago. But he would come to the church and nobody wanted to talk to him because he was just kind of like didn't take care of himself and he would start talking and he would just talk and, t- and just talk for like an hour. It's like you try to get out of a conversation, he's just like, he's not going to let you go anywhere. And so people would never, they just wouldn't have, like they just, it's like, oh no, I'm, I'm walking the other way, I'm, I'm out of here. And it really started to convict me, man, because it's just like, look, this brother needs, he obviously just needs somebody to vent to, he needs somebody to talk to, and no one will listen to him. And I could see Jesus, our King, just sitting down and just be like, Chris, why don't you just just tell me, man, and just sit down and just listen intently for an hour or two? But I gotta go to the movies. I got Chipotle to get to, man. Wait a minute. We must be very careful to have these kind of things sneak up. Whereas if we think that we should be held at a certain level, as if we have a certain standard in our lives, and it's like, hey, don't don't even try to come into my bubble. You know, it's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. I, I live at this level and that's the way I live. So I encourage you to go to a third world country and serve there. Serve there. Because you'll be so... It just breaks you when you walk up with you know really nice jeans on and you recognize that your jeans could pay for their household for a month, their food and their rent. 
Like, dang it. But then I say, could you ever live like that? No, I could never live like that. They have to. And we must start to... We must hold others higher than ourselves, period. No matter who it is, no matter what they are, no matter how they act. It's something I have to practice in my life continually. But it's something that I believe will bring such unity within the church that you've never seen if we ch- if we challenge ourselves and move forth in these kind of things. And if you're blessed and you have, then give it away. Give it away. Because I'm telling you, there are people out there, yes, and man, they are just so blessed because you went out of your way to pay for their meal. Because you went out of the way, you just said, hey man, I got like 50 jackets, dude. Just take it, man. Enjoy it. Are you serious? Yeah, why not? What if we could just be so kicked back about a lot of those things? If a mess happens, we're not scrambling to find the janitor. We just make it happen. Chairs need to be set up. Just do it. You understand? It's humbling ourselves. It's recognizing that maybe we're not the people that we should be. And to start acting out in those kind of ways of love, I'm telling you, it will change a nation. Because that's the only kind of love that Jesus shows. That's the only kind of stuff that Jesus would do. And we got to do that. We need to swallow the pride and start to act out in those ways. How do we do it? Get mind off self. Stop thinking about me. I need what I want, and I want it now. Let's be changed in an instant. Let's not be Haman's going around, because you know what? The end for Haman is sad. He's the one who gets hung and put on that pole. And that is what happens to prideful people. God resists the proud. Gives grace to the humble. And so, just a simple message, but I think that was that's plenty for tonight. Because if each one of us could simply just act out in that, I'm telling you, there'd be something different happen, even within this group. Everybody would be taken care of. Um... I can just see a lot of cool things happening. And so let's just walk in that. Let me pray that in. Let's talk to the Father. Lord, it definitely definitely is a simple principle, Father, but probably the hardest to act out in. Because, Lord, it's true. We're in love with ourselves. We don't like to do things that, hey, we don't like. But Lord, you've called us to greater. And you are the master and you became the servant of all. You were there in heaven, reigning in glory. You are the king of kings. Come down and become the servant of all. You let men whip you and beat you and nail you to a cross. You wash your own disciples' feet. Oh, king, you're so great. Teach us your ways. 
that we may walk with you. And Lord, I just I pray for these here in this room that Lord, if there is pride stirring, that if there are things going on inside, and maybe there wasn't much pricked, but I just pray, Father, that you would develop something more within the people. That their eyes would be opened in an instant to see the needs. That their eyes would be opened in an instant to the things that they are very prideful and arrogant in, and myself included, please. We need your help, Father. Hey, if that's your prayer, you, you need to say yea, amen to, in your heart. You need to say, Father, that's me. That's what I want. Please. And so, Lord, we do ask that pride would continue to be stripped from us and that, God, we would never be seen as one looking to someone and we see them in need and would turn our head away and act as if nothing is happening. Lord, forbid it, please. And so I just ask for your hand of blessing upon the people and that, Lord, you would work these things in us tonight. Just this simple thing. That we would be able to crucify our own flesh, discipline ourselves, lay down our guards, and be a blessing to one another. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Father wants to work in us, family. He's chipping away at that stone, isn't He? Smoothing out those rough edges. And so, some of us have a lot of work to do. Others, I believe you're doing alright. Like, not me, Josh, not you. Don't worry. Let's go away figuring out pondering, thinking, focusing on something that we desire to change and something maybe we even need to act out on when we get home. Don't be prideful with your family. Mm-mm. Love on your family. Be a blessing to them. If the mouth needs to be shut, shut that mouth. If the trash needs to be taken out, but brother's supposed to do it, you do it. That's his job, though. He gets a lot. You do it. I can't. You do it. Let's act out in ways that we normally don't, family. Watch how people are blessed. Amen? Let's be different. Let's be different from the rest of the church. There are some who will get it and others that will never, never get it because they don't apply. Let us not only be hearers of the word, but doers in Jesus' name. Amen.